take about 30 seconds as we've do, been doing each week and be in total silence. I'll get on my knees. You at home, get on your knees. We're just humbling ourselves. God said in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people are called by name, would, my name would humble themselves that he would heal the land. Humble themselves and turn from our wicked ways. And even though if you repent and you turn from your wicked ways, you still say, Lord, I need to love you more. I need to grow in you more. We're going to look at that in Hebrews chapter 10. So let's take about 30, 40 seconds of just silence. You pray quietly to the Lord. I'll pray quietly to the Lord. We'll get on our knees and then I'll stand up and close us and we will get into God's word together. Let's pray. Father, your word says in Psalm 85, verse 4, Restore us, O God, O God of our salvation. And in verse 6, you say, Will you not revive us again? In verse 7, Lord, you say, Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. And Lord, we know that only you can restore us. Only you can revive us. Only you can show us mercy. We need it as a nation. We need you to bring healing. We need it in families. We need it in the state of Virginia. We need to be revived at Calvary Chapel Richmond. We are too lukewarm ourselves. We need to be restored to the joy of our salvation for those that have lost it or, Lord, they're deep in depression or anxiety. Lord, we have marriages that need to be repaired and restored and revived. We have souls, Lord, by the millions that are still worried about a virus but not worried about eternity and need to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, you said all that are weary and heavy laden, you would give them rest. Lord, we pray that you would bring us into your presence. Wash us, cleanse us, revive us, renew us, restore us uh, as a church, individually, but Lord, as a nation. We pray that you would turn the heart of our governor to you, our president to you, the governors around the country, Congress, school teachers, doctors, nurses, business people, Lord, and a great awakening would take place in our nation, Lord, that all the things that we saw, the horrible things this week with racism and innocent lives lost, and we see constantly with abortion and just immorality and drug use and, and Lord, just hatred among people, whether it be for the color of their skin or their political party or all of these things, Lord, we pray that you would bring about a humbling. We'd humble ourselves. And, Lord, it would start in the household of God. It would start here. Lord, even today, you would save some, even one person will be saved watching online. We ask it, even believe, Lord, that you're going to do that. And so we ask, Lord, that you would bring a revival to us, individually and together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may stand. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. 
We will finish the 10th chapter today. It's been a beautiful passage to study for me personally, uh, whether, whether I had to teach it or not. Uh, I've really enjoyed just studying this text and having it get deep, deep with, within me and understand more of what the Lord wants us as uh, believers to appreciate about Jesus and uh, his sacrifice and him being our mediator and him being our priest. And so we're moving into kind of a different phase of this book where the author is going to start really addressing faith. And so pick it up with me in verse 26. If you have your Bibles, open them. If you don't have a Bible, use your phone or tablet or laptop, online Bible, Bible Gateway is a good one. Verse 26, Hebrews chapter 10. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Heavy stuff, huh? Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which was sanctified a common by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, um, you endured great struggles with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by the reproaches and tribulations, partly while you became companions of those who were treated, who were so treated, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come. Let me read that again. He who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Let's pray again. Lord, we ask for the work of your Spirit, for the Spirit of the living God to fall afresh on me, but yet remove me that each person might hear from Jesus. But, but fall on each person, Lord, that you would remove the distractions, trample Satan underfoot, Open our ears, soften our hearts, help us to not only hear, but respond with obedience and to do it joyfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Everyone is counting on, depending on, putting their faith and trust in something or someone, or some combination of ourselves, our abilities, our families, our friends, what we have, what we believe, what we think, what we've experienced, what we can attain. 
what someone can give us, a political ideology, money, education, a career, a religious belief, you name it, people are trusting in it. We've seen, just in this recent pandemic, whether you think it's been handled correctly or not, misused for power or not, or whatever opinion you may have about the whole situation, one thing is for sure. We can clearly see, all of us can see, how fragile our health care system is. Our jobs are. Our economy is. The markets, even life itself, is fragile. Intellectually, we already knew this, didn't we? Intellectually, we already knew this, because we could say these things, and yet we can still, we can say we know that, and yet we can still put our faith and trust in these structures and many other common sources of security and reliance. I'm not talking about utilizing the things of this world that are part of everyday life, having a, a job, getting sleep, water, you know, having friends, all these things. I'm talking about what do we truly believe in and have faith in? What do we deeply trust and believe? And what we have to ask ourselves is this. Is it true? Is it eternal? Is it life-giving? Bottom line, is it Jesus? Is it Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life? In the end, hear me out on this. In the end, Satan does not care who or where you turn to for the source of your life. As long as you turn away from God and the eternal life found in Jesus. He doesn't care what path you choose as long as it's not God through Christ. As it was in the garden, the enemy wants us to live by what we can see and what our flesh wants, what it craves. God tells us to live by what he has said. It is written. Real faith builds our life on the word of God and a surrender and a trust in the Son of God only by the grace of God. I'll be talking more about this on Wednesday night in part two of the Prophecy Perspectives, a study that Jesus, he warns of an increase in false faith, false faith, pseudo-faith, as we get closer and closer to the end. In other words, using the name of Jesus, people that will use the name of Jesus, but no real trust in him, no real following him as Lord. And so as we get closer and closer to the end of the age, we will see more apostasy. Often, you'll see people that claim to be Christians returning to the world. Yeah, they'll still show up to church a few times throughout the year, but they basically will return to the world, and they'll have what the Scriptures call a form of godliness. How about you? That's going to happen with many. Jesus said it would happen. There's nothing you and I can do to stop it. He said these, these things will happen. But how about you? Is your faith in Jesus growing these days? Or is it waning? You have to ask yourself. Sitting on your couch, driving down the road, is your faith in Jesus literally growing or is it waning? Is the wick going out? How is your life and my life 
different than those who claim, I don't, I don't even know Jesus. I don't believe in him. How different is our life from the rest of the world? Are you pressing into the faith or pulling away from the faith? Because you think, well, it's just too hard. It's inconvenient. It's not as much fun as I thought it would be. It's not going the way I want it to go. I've thought that a million times in my life. And I, I, even when I was thinking about something as simple as the Mother's Day message, I planned on preaching a Mother's Day message. Did you know God never asked me what I want to do? He's like, no, this is what I want you to do. Things don't go the way we expect or plan, but God allows all things to work together for our good. But is your faith growing or is it waning? Walking and living by faith has never, we just saw it in the text, you saw what the, the believers had to go through, heavy stuff. Uh, walking and living by faith has never and will never be easy. But we're saved by faith and called to live our lives through faith in the grace of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, you see the title. Living by faith in faithless times. And the first thing we want to take a look at, as is my normal practice, we'll look at three things from the text here. But the first thing I want us to take a look at together is what I've titled Rejecting Grace and Awful Decision. And that would be an understatement. Rejecting the grace of God is worse than an awful decision, but I had to put something down, so that's what it is. Notice the opening words of verse 26. For if we sin willfully after. But I want you to circle in your Bibles, or at least in your mind, the word we there. Note, he says, if we, a lot of times I'll speak to you in we terms, and because I, I need as much of God's grace and as much of God's mercy as you do. Doesn't matter if I'm in a pulpit or not. And the writer of Hebrews is not saying you, but we. We. We as the body of Christ, expressing that we must remain circumspect, self-aware. Are we self-examining our lives? It's imperative for all believers to look in the mirror, to look in the mirror spiritually. This also acknowledges that our faith is tested by the Lord, whether it's genuine or fraudulent. And this, by the way, if you're taking notes, this is the fourth time, this is the fourth time in Hebrews that the writer warns against apostasy. Fourth time. It's a warning that professing salvation is not the same as possessing salvation. Let me say that again. This is a warning. Professing salvation is not the same as possessing, possessing, possessing salvation. Jesus said... Uh, that many will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Professing is going to be part of possessing, but the one who possesses salvation becomes a new creation. All things are becoming new. And what's at stake? Well, eternity's at stake if we don't possess salvation. Possessing salvation uh, judgment is at stake, which he mentions here, a fearful indignation, firing indignation. Understand, the metal of our salvation will be tested. 
And although God does not tempt anyone to sin or deny Christ, God only does the opposite. He tries to influence us never to deny Christ and to be able to resist temptation. But he will allow, God will allow Satan to tempt everyone, including believers. Remember, he allowed his own son for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by Satan. Of course, Jesus remains sinless. None of us has pulled that off. We've probably all sinned sometime today already. But nevertheless, God allows everyone to be tempted. The original sin with Adam and Eve was that they yielded to what? The deception of the serpent. The deception of the serpent. And so we'll have to choose in life for salvation, but again and again in our life, we'll have to choose in life who we're going to believe in, who we're going to trust. God, who never fails, or ourselves, and the old as the hills lures of Satan. You know, Satan doesn't have any new tricks. Everything is things he's already done, but they keep working. Now, notice also in your Bible, it says if we sin, verse 26, willfully, this is a Greek word, meaning willingly, of one, this is the Greek meaning of it, uh, one's own accord, to sin willfully as opposed to sins committed inconsiderately. This is actually, I know that this is wrong, and I'm going to just keep doing it anyway, not from weakness or ignorance. Now, this is not the normal Christian life of us falling and skinning our knees. This is a willful saying, I don't care. I'm not going to live like these other Christians. I'm going to do it my own way. It's a, it's, a, it's a rebellion of the heart, kind of willful sin lifestyle. Yeah, I'm, I got saved years ago, but I kind of do my own thing. I mean, let's face it, Satan's schemes, they've been really effective, haven't they? here on planet Earth, but none of them are new. None of them are new. We don't need any new evidence that sin and Satan's lies destroy lives. We don't need any new evidence. We know for a fact that his lies destroy lives. And they do this long before someone even dies. Just look at greed, abuse, lust, hatred, violence, drug use, immorality, racism, destroyed marriages. All of these things cause lots of damage long before anyone dies. We don't need any new proof that sin kills and Jesus gives life. We don't need any new proof. We know that everything from sin causes death and destruction and Jesus only gives life, life now and life eternal. And yet still, knowing all of this, the flesh still craves sin, knowing it's a poison, which is why we must have the Holy Spirit who gives grace that's greater than our sin nature. Look with me again at the full text of the first sentence. Sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. He goes on to say, how much worse punishment do you suppose it will be who thought it worthy, who trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted 
the spirit of grace. You could also see a parallel here to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Just say, I don't care what the Spirit is saying. I don't care about the blood of Jesus. Trample it underfoot. A, a willful rejection of the knowledge of truth. We know that the writer begins with we. In other words, let's all take heed. Let's all take stock. Remember, he's writing to a church here. But in this verse is the decision point for everybody. Back to verse 26. I read the whole context, but back to verse 26, there's a decision point in verse 26. This is the crux of life. Will we believe the truth? Because it says, who have, after they've received the knowledge of the truth, so they hear truth, and then you have Satan's lies, which never stop coming down the highway towards us. Will we believe truth and now build our lives on it? As Jesus said, building on the rock? Or ignore the truth? And by the way, Satan doesn't care how we ignore it. You can ignore it a million different ways. As long as you ignore it, put it off, I'll do it later. As long as it's ignored. If the truth has come into our hearts, if you've really not only believed in the truth, but received it, and the truth has come in, it sets us free. We're walking in truth and grace. If we simply know the truth, there's no internal change, just knowing truth, intellectual head knowledge of truth, and we can ignore Christ in that state. In fact, worse than just ignoring, in God's eyes, once you've heard the gospel and you really understand it, and you sat under Bible teachings and you understood, hey, I, that's, that is exactly what God is saying that I must do in my life. I hear the call of God. I understand I'm a sinner. I understand that I need to surrender my life. I understand that I need to commit. I understand I need to follow Jesus, forsake myself and my own lordship and this world and follow him. You understand all that. You know it to be true, just like the rich young ruler. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was convinced Jesus had the right answer. Jesus said, here's what you need to do. And he didn't want to do it. So he walked away sad. And so... The writer's telling us here, in God's eyes, once you know the sacrifice of Jesus, you understand the resurrection, you understand the gospel, and you still ignore Christ day after day after day after day, he says it's worse than ignoring. In God's eyes, you're trampling the lordship of Jesus Christ underfoot. And you really can't put Jesus underfoot. But... We're attempting to do it, whether we realize it or not, if we're rejecting him as Lord and say, we're the little lords of our own life. And understand, really hear me on this, understand that church people that have heard tons of gospel and lots of truth and lots of Bible studies are in a worse position on judgment day if they never really came to Christ than those who barely heard the gospel or never heard the gospel. And we see that where he says, those who have trampled underfoot and counted as a common thing, insulted the spirit of grace. Again, there's that blasphemy of the spirit or potentially uh, alluding to it there. Those of us who have heard a lot. In 1 John Chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out 
that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Sad, sad statement that, that there are many that will kind of hang with us for a while. Even hang with us maybe the whole time, kind of in and out, but just never really gave their lives to Christ. And some will go out and just stay out. And John, John's saying, hey, they never, really, they never really put their faith in, they never really fell upon the rock. They looked at it from a distance, but they never really fell upon the rock. Is, is Christ, question for all of us, is Christ the center of your life? Or is he just a little side dish that you put on your plate out of obligation? You've all been to uh, you know, somebody's house and, or some spread, and someone's like, you've got to try this, and you really don't want to try it. But out of obligation, you put a little bit on there. You've all done it. We've all done it. But it's that, that's not the way we handle Jesus. We don't just put him as a little side dish, a little bit on the plate, just out of obligation. No, we say fill the whole plate with Jesus. Because if he really is your Lord and Savior, he's taken over everything. And it's not out of obligation. It's out of gratitude. Jesus knows who has surrendered to him and who is actually in him. The writer's making this really clear. The days are coming when everyone will know, right here in the United States, right here in Virginia, everyone will know who is a believer and who's not a believer. The days are coming where the darker it gets, the more your light will shine true or not shine at all. The readers of this letter had experienced this in the first century. Let's take a look at the next um, point that we want to understand and the next part of the text. He says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by the reproaches and tribulations, partly while you became uh, companions of those who were so treated. And for so you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Nothing means more to Americans than their goods and their stuff. And I'm guilty, too, of you know, there's stuff I like. But they gave all, they were willing to kind of uh, give those things up, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. We'll stop right there. I've titled this next understanding this morning, Remembering Trials, a Wise Reflection. We're all going to have trials. And they had passed their days in this first centuries with a very visible and genuine faith. The writers were calling a time when they had just, their lights were shining super bright. And it was obvious that they had been changed by Jesus. And we can be fairly certain here, by the way, even though we just read of the fourth apostasy uh, address in this epistle, and we just saw uh, the very heavy language that is used uh, for those that have heard Christ, heard the gospel, and continue to kind of just put it off or reject it outright. We can be fairly certain, though, that the writer of Hebrews, in spite of those four apostasy warnings, the three previous and this one, was assured that most of those he was writing to were truly saved. And I'm usually, I feel the same way when I'm talking to CCR, even some of you that may be lukewarm, I'm assured that most of you are really saved. Um, Paul said he had his doubts about some. I've had my doubts about some, too. Jesus said there will be some tares among the wheat. I'm positive, not because I want it this way, because Jesus tells us, 
Paul tells us there's, there's likely some tares, some that have not truly been saved in our own church. But I believe the majority of people I'm speaking to are born again, but not necessarily pressing in. Maybe you're kind of in a holding pattern. Maybe you've been pulling back lately. But regardless, the writer is taking them back to a time when their fire was burning really, really hot. But he was assured that most of them were truly saved. But at this point, he's not in the next, from here in verse 20, uh, or here in verse 32, all the way down to verse 39, this is not an admonishment. This is to build them up, to encourage them. And I'm here to do the same for those of you sitting at home uh, and the few guys that are here. I want you to be built up, that if you are weak, depressed, anxious, downcast, moving backwards, that God grabs a hold of you and pulls you, and you say, Lord, take me forward. They needed to be built up. They needed to be encouraged. And some of you today need the same thing. I need it. We all need it. Uh, you need to know that the same God who powerfully saved you and has brought you through trials and opposition can and will do it again. Do you believe that? The same one who's brought you through things in the past. You, you've, things you've forgotten, you need to remember uh, not to live in the past. That's not a good thing. Paul said, forgetting those things in the past, I press forward. If you live in the past, you can't move forward. But you can remember like David, I killed a lion, I killed a bear, I can take Goliath. Do you believe that? To look back and to remember, oh yeah, I used to have that sickness, it's gone. I used to have that issue, it's gone. I used to have that. I used to have that fear. I don't have that fear anymore. I used to have this. And so if God was faithful in the past, if the enemy has sidetracked you into self-pity or focused on the world or whatever it may be, you need to be re-strengthened, re-encouraged in the faith to get back to the faith. Remember, in the middle years of our sanctification, which is that dot between born-again date and the end of our life. In those middle years of our sanctification, trust has to be re-exercised again and again and again. Recommitment are a daily thing, a daily part of an all-in permanent commitment. You know, the Bible says, you know, the, the, the Old Testament saints, they were pressing forward, and we're going to look more at this in we chapter 11, even though they had their slips and falls, and we all do, but God's saying, get back up. For the righteous man falls seven times, yet shall he rise again. But look back to the foundation of these believers' faith. After their eyes were opened, they were so convinced that Jesus was their Savior. They were so convinced that salvation is better than attaining whatever you can attain in this world. Jesus said, even if you could attain the whole world but lose your own soul, that's not a good trade. It's a horrible trade. They were so convinced that salvation was worth any loss. They, are, they willingly accepted. He talks about it here. After you were illuminated, you endured. After the light of the Holy Spirit had come in, you endured with great struggle and sufferings and I can't read the whole list again, but you can see it there in front of you. They willingly accepted becoming ostracized. They didn't get invited to all the barbecues anymore. They didn't get invited to everyone going to happy hour after work. They weren't the cool people anymore. 
I remember uh, listening to Bodie Balkum one time. He said, you know, people would say, uh, man, if, if, if someone famous like Tiger Woods got saved, or this person got saved, then, then people would come to Christ. No, no, then he said, you know, if someone like big celebrity gets saved, they all of a sudden won't be cool. It's, they don't, it doesn't make everybody else jump in the boat. They're immediately, when Paul got saved, he had lots of unsaved friends. Instead, they wanted to kill him. But they willingly accepted being ostracized, persecuted, treated with contempt, struggles and sufferings, far worse things than you and I are enduring as freedom-possessing in many respects. And I, I, I recognize that there's people that would love to take away freedoms in this own country, but at, at, at current state, compared to anyone in the first century, they would have not fathomed the kind of freedoms we have. And the things that they endured like our brothers and sisters around the world in persecuted nations, and they gave their lives completely to Jesus and at great cost. Some family members probably wouldn't talk to them anymore. The word reproach tells the story here. Look at the Greek meaning of this word as well. A reproach such as Christ suffered for the cause of God from his enemies. That's the Greek meaning here. It's very specific. It's, it's a very specific word here, reproach. Uh, and the Greek understanding, it's as Christ suffered for the cause of God and from his enemies. If your sufferings are due to sin and bad habits, that's not for the cause of God. But if your suffering is that Satan is buffeting you like he did Job, like he did Paul, like he did Peter, like he did David... If your suffering is because of naming the name of Jesus, then God is going to take care of that. He will bring you through. He will come to your defense. But if it's sin and other things, that's a different story. These believers lost possessions. Some were thrown into jail. Others were ministering to those who lost possessions or suffered imprisonment and other mistreatments and persecutions. And one thing we can see from this is you either are being mistreated for Christ or you're ministering to those who are being mistreated for Christ. We need to have a heart. That's why in Matthew chapter 25, I was in prison, you visited me not. I was naked, you clothed me not. All of these things, we either are to be ministering to the hurting in the body of Christ or we are the hurting in the body of Christ. One way or another, we're either on the mission field or we're helping people go on the mission field. There's not, they're not, well, I'm not really called to the mission field or to help anyone get there, and I'm not called to suffer, and I'm not called to help anyone suffering. Well, then you're in the first bullet point if that's the case. And that's, that's not where you want to be. We want to say, Lord, I want to be wise and to be following in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Amazingly, they did it all joyfully. Look what it says. For you, in verse 34, for you had compassion on me and in my chains and joyfully accepted. Joyfully accepted. I wish I could say this at all times. There's far too many times I don't joyfully accept the buffeting of Satan. And, and minor, minor. I had three trips to the dentist this week. Uh, I was really keeping frontline workers busy. Uh, but um, it, it was a, you know, in, in the scheme of it all, very minor. But again, uh, I would just keep telling myself, these are things that God, 
I need to go and be a light. I need to go and be a witness. These aren't, you know, compared to my brothers and sisters around the world, not that big a deal. And do it with joy and turn on some worship music and quote scripture that says, Lord, I count it all joy to whatever it is you, you want me to do. And they did it joyfully, and so can we, because they looked heavenward. They looked heavenward, joyfully accepting the plundering of your own goods, knowing, look what it says, the rest of that verse, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. There is no such thing as being too heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. If you're heavenly-minded, you're going to be really good for the Lord. And I mean in the sense that God is working through your life and using you as a light to the lost, ministering to the saints. Are you convinced that your greatest possessions are in heaven? Are you chasing the ones that your neighbors are chasing? Are you chasing the ones that the advertisers are telling you should be chasing? Are you convinced that everything in heaven is going to be worth anything you suffer lost here on this earth because you'll endure now for what is in eternity. They were convinced. The question is, are we convinced? The early church, I mean, he, remember, there was some apostates, but he was convinced that most of them were not. And most of them were not. He said, I've seen it lived out. You need to stay living on fire for the Lord. Let's take a look at this last point of understanding, renewing faith. And enduring confidence, renewing faith, and enduring confidence. If your confidence doesn't endure, then it's not real confidence. It has to endure. It has to be God-given, spirit-given. Look at these last few verses. Verse 35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Not only eternal reward, but there's a reward now. You, When you're confident now, if you're confident in the Lord you don't really need stuff. Nobody can, can tempt you with trinkets. Jesus, you know, you look at the life of Jesus. Here he is walking through the world. He, he, you talk about confidence. He walks by things and people say, look at this amazing house. He's like, he had to sometimes roll his eyes. He created the whole universe. And people are like amazed at all these things. They're like, Jesus, look at all these things they have. Look at the gold. And Jesus is like, um, I can tell you exactly how many ounces of gold are on planet Earth under every rock. I can tell you the molecular count of everything. And he, but he didn't answer those questions. He just knew, I know things you don't know. And those, those, so in other words, the more you are in tune with God, the more confident you are. Someone can't say, Aren't you bummed that you don't have all my money? It's like, are you kidding? God owns everything. You have to have a confidence, and it has great reward now, and of course it has a great eternal reward. But we need the reward of God's help now because he says, for you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God. Another question, are you doing the will of God? Are you doing your own will? Am I doing my own will? That you may receive the promise for yet a little while. He who is coming will come and will not Terry, let me tell you something you already know. And we covered this two weeks ago in verses 11 through 18. I'm going to put the graph back up one more time. Uh, our Christian walk over time is advancing, but it's, no, it's by no means a straight line. It doesn't go like this. It looks like a stock ticker. It goes up and down, but trending in the right direction. There's progress, even though we have hills and valleys 
getting there. That's why the book that John Bunyan wrote is called Pilgrim's Progress. There is bumps in the road, but you're progressing to the celestial kingdom. When we've come to know Jesus in the course of our spiritual walk, and we understand, again, we were justified. We're going through this sanctification, but glorification is still, it still remains. That perfection hasn't come. But when we've come to know Jesus in the course of our spiritual walk, we have some disappointing dips. We all do. We have some deserts. We have some dry seasons that challenge our commitment and our will to endure. Sometimes we feel like throwing in the towel. I was watching Jim Cimbala recently, Pastor Jim of Tabern Brooklyn Tabernacle. He was ta talking about how many times he's felt like throwing in the towel. I've watched my former pastor, Loran Livingston in Charlotte, talk about how many times he felt like throwing in the towel. Or Joe Foch, how many times he's felt like throwing in the towel. And Paul said he was pressed, hard-pressed on every side, distressed. We all have had things that challenge our will to endure, but we will not throw away. We'll say those things, but if we have the Holy Spirit, we will not throw away our faith, and the Lord will not let go of us because we're his, because we belong to him. And deep down, notice what he says, even though they might have been a little bit tempted by the apostates, man, they're having fun, we're not, a little bit weary, a little bit tired of all the persecution and the suffering, all these things, but he says, don't throw away your confidence. Now, they might have said, what confidence? We're hanging by a thread here. What, what confidence are you talking about? Well, deep down, if you're truly saved, you've been born again. Deep down, you still have a confidence in God, even at the worst of times. Deep, deep down. I, I, I can't describe it. You have to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior to know what I'm saying. The Spirit, I hope, is speaking to you on this. Uh, deep down, you will know, even at the worst of time, even if it is just a thread, tinier than a hair thread, during those times of apathy, which we all have, discouragement, which we have, fear, which we have, exhaustion and frustration, you might have experienced any and all of the above in one week. And whether it's through the Word of God or whether it's by a brother and sister that ministers to you, a message that you hear on the radio or you're hearing this morning, a song, a dream, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, or all of the above, the Spirit will speak to you. They'll, God will connect and say, no, you still have a little confidence, but it's not in yourself. It's not in yourself. And the Spirit will say, get up. Get up. I'll help you up. I cannot count how many times, me personally, that I've taken steps forward, hanging by a thread, thinner than you can think is possible, and it didn't even feel like faith many times. It felt like survival. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are experiencing it right now. This doesn't feel like faith. It feels like I'm just surviving. But Jesus said, even a little mustard seed can move the mountains in our life, didn't he? Are simply believing in God and barely breathing out a sincere prayer. Some of your most sincere prayers are short, like Peter falling through the water, Lord, save me. Who was his confidence in at that moment? Peter didn't throw away his confidence. His confidence was in Jesus. Me and my wife, we have loved this passage uh, since the first year of our salvation and the second year of our marriage, which was um, 25 years ago, or uh, yeah, 26 years ago, marriage. But we've loved this um, 
passage from Isaiah 41.10 for years. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These readers needed to know that you have a confidence. It's, it's a tiny, it's deep down in your spirit. Your confidence is not in you. You see, our confidence is never in ourselves. When he's saying, don't throw away your confidence, it's the possession of salvation here, not anything of themselves. Jesus said, apart from you, you can do nothing. The confidence is not in themselves. The longer we're saved, the more we see how weak we are. And then that little deep, still tiny bit of confidence, we realize our confidence is in Christ himself, in the Lord God who reigns. We see, ah, I never really did have any abilities. I really never was that good at this. It was only by the grace of God. And so our confidence shifts away from ourselves. He says, you can throw away confidence in yourself, but don't throw away confidence in the Lord. Matter of fact, go ahead and throw away confidence in yourself. But don't throw away confidence in the Lord and actually grow in confidence in the Lord, looking to the sacrifice of Christ, the victory of Christ, the limitless power of Christ, uh, what he said in his word, what he's done for the saints of old, what he's done for us. It gives us endurance. And we see that if Jesus finished all that the Father gave him to do, then he'll help us finish all he's given us to do. And we'll even grow in the difficulty. In fact, we'll grow far more in the difficulty. We don't want to hear that. But we're going to grow far more in the difficulty. Though we'd prefer it otherwise, that is where we really grow. That is where gold is purified. But then we're even stronger in faith and in peace and in the power of God to do the will of God, where it says here, for you have need of endurance, that after you've done the will of God, we're going to be finishers. We're going to be those who complete the task. And so the writer has encouraged them, said, you're not, this confidence, this presence of Christ, you're going to finish. You're going to do the will of God. The more things we come through, the more we believe in Christ's power over things that come against us. We believe in the power of God to come through those things. We become, as the scriptures say, overcomers. Look at the focus for every believer. Verse 37, for yet a little while, he who is coming will come and not tarry, but the just will live by faith. A big part of the prophecy teaching that I've been sharing, I'll be sharing again on Wednesday, is that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and we're closer than we've ever been. That's good news, and it should really keep our priorities in check. It inspires us to live unto Christ, reaching out to others, to be ready for his return to this world, even if the world becomes colder and colder and more cynical and more godless and more faithless. The Spirit draws us to live by faith in a faithless world. I love this quote from Carl Henry in 1986. It was true then, it's true today, and increasingly so today. He says this, he says, all the modern gods are dying. The almighty dollar is falling like a burned out star. It is, made, it is uh, a day made for the sons of prophets, for the sons of apostles, for Protestant reformers, 
and even for evangelical giants. God is looking for a few good men and women who are going to say, it's worth it to lose it all because Jesus gave it all and will help me through it all. It's not the dollar necessarily now, it's the economy falling, it's jobs falling, but it's the same thing. The enemy is deceiving people to hold on to all these things that aren't going to last anyway. And he's saying, we need to be sons of the apostles. Son of the, in other words, follow in their footsteps, which is chapter 11, which we'll get into. Um, we'll see these heroes of the faith. But God is calling us now. The Spirit, through the writer, is calling for believers to live by faith. He says, the just will live by faith. Verse 39, last verse, we are not those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. We're not going to go back. We're going to say, Lord, we're grabbing your coattails and we're moving forward. The Spirit through the writer is calling for believers who live by faith, not by greed, not by fear, but like David or Paul, we run to the battle. Well, the more you run to the battle and your confidence is in Christ, the more you couldn't care less what the enemy wants to hurl against you. Those in Christ have been called to finish the race from justification to sanctification, ultimately to glorification. The full work of God's salvation, all those pieces of the puzzle, God has saved us and called us to what? Victory. That's why we sing that song, Oh, Victory in Jesus. You know the song? The hymn, Victory in Jesus. It's not defeat in Jesus. Defeat is to be lied to by Satan and drug into hell. Victory is to say, I'm clinging to the words that God has said, and they will stand forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will by no means pass away. Let's, brother and sister, let's ignore the feelings of our flesh. The other day, um, I just felt really physically weak. And I, I, I work out, I run, I, I walk some days, I run some days. And, and I kind of have a mix up, mixed routine, and in between I'll, I'll lift some weights, not, not like I tried to when I was in my 20s when I tried to lift way more than I could, but just, just to stay toned and everything. And I felt really physically weak, and I didn't even want to touch any of the weights. And I got on there, and I did more reps than on a day I felt strong. And the Lord was just telling me, how you feel is irrelevant. Never matters how you feel. You feel weak, that's probably a good thing. In weakness, we're made strong. A spiritual metaphor that God says, look, the more you reject feelings and reject the lies of the sa uh, Satan and the reject, re reject the lies of this world and have your confidence in Christ, you'll start to expect victory and pray expecting miracles to happen. And, pray, and you'll begin praying, and I'll begin praying, expecting the Spirit to work through us and do great things in spite of all the opposition. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just, once again, we need to put our eyes back on Jesus. We need our confidence in you. Lord, there is a lot of temptation in this world. Temptation to quit, temptation to just kind of coast, temptation to go back to things that are easy. But Lord, Abraham chose not to do that. Lot foolishly chose to pitch his tent towards Sodom. And, Lord, even though he was truly saved, it cost him dearly. And, Lord, we don't want to see an undue cost on those that you would chasten, but we also don't want to see those slip into eternity unprepared that just like the rich young ruler just couldn't give up their stuff. 
But we want to be, as we'll be seen in chapter 11, Lord, like Abraham, like Moses, those who pursued you, stayed close to you, even sometimes hanging by a thread, Lord, they never cast away their confidence because their confidence was not in themselves, but it was in your grace, your mercy, your salvation. So, Lord, we just want to renew our commitment to you this morning to say, Jesus, forgive us if we put confidence in ourselves, in our stuff. And, Lord, I just want to speak for just a moment. I would pray that you would stir anyone that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. And I want to take a moment just to speak... Um, to those of you that are listening. You know, the first part of what we looked at, the first verses, we're really speaking to anyone who's heard truth but has unfortunately, unwisely, and sadly rejected truth. And, and maybe you are listening right now or watching, you're visiting. Maybe you attend Calvary Chapel Richmond and maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're a college student. And you know a lot of truth, but you've never really come to the truth. You have a lot of information, but you haven't seen transformation. You've not become a new creation. You've not put your faith and trust in Christ. in this morning and I started thinking about people that are lost and they've heard the gospel, they're friends of mine and I've witnessed to them reached out to them <clears throat> and yet they still won't come and it doesn't happen to me often I just started having tears run down my face. This is what Jesus said. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather you. that's you. It's not that you don't know the truth. Jesus is standing with your nail-pierced hands. The question is, are you willing? He's not willing. Any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I even had a feeling that I was driving in. I said, Lord, you're going to do this to me in the pulpit. I just know it. <laughs> I sensed it, and I didn't care.
I don't really care either. Uh, matter of fact, I even told the Lord, I was talking to another pastor, I said, you know, I haven't really, I've wanted to kind of really weep for souls, but it hasn't been coming. Just pray it. I, I believe that I was riding in this morning. The Lord just said, I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you another dose of compassion because I don't really have compassion, nor do you. I have salvation, but compassion is something that comes from the Lord. And so I'm speaking to you, and I don't know what the Lord's saying to you, but I just want to close in a prayer. And if you have heard Jesus say, look, that's you. Instead of, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, put your name there. I could say, oh, America, America. Oh, Chesterfield, oh, Richmond, but more, Jesus is saying a specific name. This was true of me when he called me the day me and my wife came to Christ. Oh, Tim, oh, Tim, I'm not willing that you should perish, but you are not willing. And that day I said, Lord, I'm finally willing. Will you please forgive me? And I've never been the same. So I'm going to pray. If you're, if you're listening and you say, I've heard the gospel a bunch of times and I need to finally give my life to Jesus. He's coming soon. Let's pray. Pray with me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for coming to die for my sins. Lord, I ask that you would cleanse me, that you forgive me of my unbelief, of my resistance, of all of my sins. Wash me by the blood of the Lamb. For I'm deciding this day to believe in you, to put my trust in you, to give you my life. Change me radically change me, Lord. Make me a new creation. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Give me a home in heaven. And Lord, I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I'd walk in your ways all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.